Welcome to the Church and Stuff podcast, where we share the victorious gospel of Jesus Christ and talk about how you can be victorious in and over the stuff in your life. Church and Stuff is a podcast of Victorious Living Church in Grove City, Ohio. Check us out on the web at blcc.tv. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that victory becomes reality in every area of your life. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about the church triumphant for a little bit, about what is the church Does the church matter? We've come to the end of the purple book. The purple book basically brings us to the end of the work of Christ to the work of the church and to the existence of the church today. And so we're coming down to the end of that. And uh, so today we're gonna talk a little bit about the triumphant church. This became even more significant to me this week as I watched our friends in Pakistan. Uh, We visit the city of Lahore. We have held a crusade outside of Lahore about a mo- about two hours outside of the major city. This is eastern, northeastern Pakistan. It is the most Christianized part, the most westernized, uh, most uh, up-to-date part of Pakistan, the most the more liberal, and they have very little violence there. They have most of the violence uh, down south uh, and to the west. But this past week, there were violence by Islamic uh, members of Muslim churches within the area about an hour from Lahore in a place called Falazabad, and they burnt several churches down, attacked Christians. So far, there's been no deaths. The Christians were hiding in fields, hiding in wheat fields and, and hiding out in caves because word came this was coming. And they destroyed several of the Christians' homes. Pastor John Javed and Rachel, who are our contacts, have been on site there within hours after the attacks. Matter of fact, the fires were still smoldering and they are doing everything they can to relieve the suffering and stop this kind of activity. There are Christians today being persecuted, folks. Can you imagine today we're worshiping but a mob full of haters from another religion marched down here while we're in here and tried to burn us down in this building with your children in the back? But that's a reality today for several hundred people in Pakistan who call themselves Christians, and that's the only difference between them and the rest of their brothers and sisters. To add to this fervor, there is a lockdown by the government on most of the Christians who gain gain, uh, money from the West, like John. We're having a really hard time getting any money to him. And he's trying to feed and house many of the victims. I say all that before I get in the message today to tell you it's important that the church of Jesus Christ globally understands we are not American Christians and Pakistani Christians and Nigerian Christians and Australian Christians and Canadian Christians. I am in the natural by birth an American, a citizen of the United States, but by my new birth, I am a citizen of heaven and I am a global believer and I am a part of the body of Christ. And that is my family that have lost their homes and churches. And the U.S. government won't do a thing about it. The English government won't do anything about it. The Chinese government won't do anything to help them. The Pakistani government's gonna work against it. It takes the church to do this. And so before I preach, I want you to see the video we showed about a month ago called Faces. And bear in mind some of these places, people you see are involved in some of what happened last week. This is why VLI and VLC is not just a local church, it's global. Go ahead and play that video, please.
everyone. Everyone. So that's where your finances go to help us do this as a church tithe and as offerings. It's a blessing to have you as partners with us. If you have a V child, a V kid, some of you promised to support them back in January, month to month. Some of you did for a few months, some didn't at all. Some have paid in full. If you haven't paid anything and you made a promise, you feel like I can't catch up, don't worry about it. Just start giving your monthly pledge now. We've covered it. We can make sure none of the children dropped out of the program, uh, but we are about, I don't know, three or $400 short a month on the amount that we're pledged. So do what you can to get that in. It'll be a blessing to the children. All right, so we're going to talk about being a church triumphant this morning. And when you watch that video, I want you to encourage you in something. Don't become weary in well-doing. You know, it's easy to get weary when life is hard, but in well-doing, it's very easy to become complacent and kind of uh, anesthetized to the impact that we're having by doing what God has asked us to do. Uh, when we began VLI two years ago as a branch, uh, as a part of this local church and our ministries, it was a great enthusiasm and excitement. It was not hard to get a lot of partnership right up front and a lot of partners, a lot of finances, a lot of injection of resources. This third year, this is the third is always the toughest. You got to know that the battle between hell and Jesus coming out of the grave started on the beginning of the third day. That's when he was coming rumbling out. Third is the time of resurrection and new life. And so the third year, we've had a really slow go at getting partners reassigned, re-signed up, and joining with us. So simply put, just to lay it at rest, we're looking for people who will partner with VLI on a monthly basis. I'm going to, I'm going to New Mexico in a couple of weeks to preach there, share this vision with another church. I'll be in Anniston, Alabama doing it again in October. Uh, we have several other churches who are sending funds our way to get families free. Several partners who do not attend church here who are really strong supporters. But if you attend church here, anything you can do every month, whether it's $10, $20 toward VLI, makes a huge difference of what we're able to do. And so thank God for what he's provided, amen, and what he's going to provide. But when I see pictures like this, and then I hear about the things in Pakistan, and then I hear people talk about the church in America is dying or dead, I want to remind this church here today that the church of Jesus Christ will never be defeated. The Bible calls the church a lot of things. There are a lot of words used to describe the church. The church is called an army. It's called a family. The church is called the body of Christ. The church is called the called out ones. The church is called the set apart ones. The church is accused of doing some things it shouldn't do in the Bible, like falling asleep or being lukewarm or uh, forgetting its first love. But never in the Bible is the church told that or called defeated. Because the church is based out of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. He has already won the victory. And so the church then is always triumphant because he is the church. We are simply put into that church as we become Christians. For those that are maybe new here today or kind of young in Christianity, the church is not four walls. The church is not a building with a cross on it. A church is not a piece of property. The church is not a denomination. The church is not even a church because it has a name, a board, and a bylaws. The church of Jesus Christ is a spiritual entity. It is a living, breathing thing that's made up of all universal believers on all of this world combined. Every child of God is a part of the church or the called out ones. Can I get an amen? It is Jesus Christ. He is a person who is made real to the world through the persons who become the church. So we don't really go to the church. We go to meet with the church when we come here on Sunday mornings. And so I want to talk today about the fact that the church cannot be ultimately defeated or eliminated. Will the church be eliminated because of persecution? Will the church die in a nation because of indifference and sinfulness? And we read in the Bible that the church is always triumphant, whether it's two people or two million people. God always has a people. I said, God always has a people. And I want to be one of those people that God has. My goal in this life is not to please you. It's not to make you happy. My goal in life as a pastor has never been to convince people that I know what I'm talking about. 
My real goal and aim in life is to please the one who saved me, to please the one who called me, to make, uh, to be in relationship with him in such a way that my life is wrapped up in who he is and where I'm going after I die. Folks, I got to tell you something. After I die, I don't stop living. I'm going to be living in the presence of God. This is not all that there is. This is a prelude to eternity. And I have more of my heart there now than I do here. I have more of a desire to see him than I ever have before. The one who died for me and gave himself on a cross, who took the thorns in his hands and the thorns in his, and the, or the thorns in his head, the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. That's the longing of my heart more and more each and every day. So no, I'm not doing this for a paycheck, a salary, an income, a wealth building thing. I'm not doing this for a habit or a hobby or because it's something I feel like I have to do. This church and every church that I minister with is a part of the body of Christ and it belongs to the great shepherd. And I am working my, my heart toward heaven, not toward you. So I ask these questions today. Can the church be defeated, eliminated, and not made non-effective? Can the church, does it matter that the church exists? I said, does it matter that the church exists? I told, something came to my mind yesterday. I told it today on my devotional uh, that I do at 945 on Sundays. If you have a chance, catch that. It also goes up on the blog for the week that I have. But 30-some years ago or maybe a little bit longer because I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean with uh, my, my grandson, Lincoln, and it said at the top, made in 2003. I went, 20 years ago that movie was made? Didn't we just go to see that movie? 20 years. So I don't know, maybe 40 years ago or so, 30, 40 years ago when we were really getting involved in the churches we were in. And we would go to the state fair. Fairs are a big thing. You may have gone to the state fair. Right smack in the middle of the state fair, right down the middle of the main runway, as you enter the main entrance, there used to be something called the Ohio Gospel Pavilion. That thing was full every single day with not only gospel singers, but preachers from all over the state of Ohio. Churches gathered from different groups of churches. We were holiness churches, Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches, uh, all types of churches and all types of people. Some of you in here might be old enough to remember the Ohio Gospel Pavilion. And we went there every year and it was a daily thing. And it was an effective thing. And people would get prayer outside the tent. And there was signs of that. And then you would walk down a little bit further. And there was a Methodist church for years that had a, a place where they served food. And then there was a Baptist church that had another kind of standing area for, uh, for, giving, for doing food as well. And the church and the gospel presence was all over that state fair. And now you can't find anything hardly about the gospel at the state fair. I think they have the last day, the last several hours, they give a little room for some Christian singing in one of the tents or pavilions. That's indicative really of how we've treated the church in this country. How we treat it in our minds as far as priorities. So while the church cannot be defeated by outside sources, I do believe that the church can be defeated by some inside sources and specifically local churches. I think there are some things we need to know and need to remember about the church of Jesus Christ. Some things that I hold as promises to my heart and to my belief as a person who has made my life around the church, who has injected myself into it in a way that this is what I am. It's not just where I go. This, this is what I belong to. And if I'm not preaching, if I wasn't preaching, if I hadn't pastored, I would still be in church because I did that before I pastored. I'm not disillusioned with the church. I'm not disappointed in the church. I, I, I'm not disappointed in the people of the church because we're all, just, we're all just people trying to find our way and we're connected to this thing together and we didn't necessarily even ask to be put with the people we're with. You ever think about that? In, in church, we're put with people we wouldn't really pick out in the world, but God puts us in here together. Why? Because he wants us to rub on one another a little bit to help get us to grow in character so that when we face trouble out there, we can withstand it. I've often said that the church is the locker room. It's the workout facility. It's the weight room. It's the place where the practice takes place. It's where you get the hard hits from your team members. And some people say, well, the church ought to be the place that's the safest. I think it ought to be the place that sometimes feels the hardest. Because then 
You can form character by forgiving and staying and walking through and facing adversities together. Am I talking to anybody in here? I don't know about you, but life is full of adversities and misunderstandings and troubles and offenses. And I'd rather work those things out with brothers and sisters in Christ than people in the bar somewhere that I don't know. And just because we all get a little souse, we can kind of like each other for a minute. I'd rather work that out with people that got some spirit in them of God. Then I can go into the world and I can withstand their cat calls and I can withstand their yells and I can withstand their name calling. But I, I need this church. I need the body of Christ. I need it even if it's imperfect because it is in this environment that I realize who I am in Christ. The world's not going to tell me who I am in Christ. The government's not going to tell me who I am in Christ. The local school's not going to tell your kids who they are in Christ. The people on your job aren't going to tell you who are in Christ. We need to be together as people of God and remind each other, not just that God loves you. We need to remind each other, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. You are the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I tell you, the Bible says no weapon formed against you can prosper. The Bible says with your own mouth, you will condemn all those who make accusation against you. The Bible says that they might come at you one way and another way, but the Lord will withstand them. Come on, somebody. I need to remind you that when you call on the name of the Lord, he will rebuke the devil for your sake and his name's sake. Come on, somebody. I need to remind you that you don't have to believe the way the world is believing. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm a king and a priest unto my God. I am a head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I know that I'm seated at the right hand of God the Father with Christ Jesus. Because Ephesians chapter 1 tells me I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I know that I am who I am because of the I am lives on the inside of me. And we keep talking, trying to talk each other emotionally into accepting what God thinks about us. I accept what he says because God's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it? Will he not make it good? Has he not declared it? Will he not complete it? God will not tell you one thing and then treat you a different way. God said, I'll be with you and never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the age. God said in me, it, it, with you it is impossible, but in Christ all things are possible. To those who believe in Christ. Can I remind you today, you are the church of the living God, not a dead God, not a God of wood, not a God of steel, not a God of stone. You are a God, you are a, uh, the church and the members of the church of Lord Jesus Christ who took the death but came back to life again. You are the army of God, the family of God. You are the first, you are a member of the first and the last committee. He is the first and he is the last. I am with him now in heavenly places. He's interceding for me. I have his name upon me. There's not a devil can steal it from me. There's not a man that can take it from me. There's not any amount of money that can buy me. I am who I am in Christ and I know it. And because I know it, I'm not double-minded about it. So if that sounds like cockiness to you, that's your problem. Because you don't know who you are, you want me to doubt who I am. Because people don't know who the church is, they want everybody to doubt the church. One person gets hurt in a church, they want to go tell 100 other Christians how they got hurt. Church hurt has become a greater topic than God's blessing. Since when did church hurt get more powerful than God? Nobody talks about bar hurt, restaurant hurt, work hurt, school hurt, homework, home hurt, family hurt. Nobody gets hurt at a bar, right? Nobody gets betrayed by drunk people. Well, we shouldn't do that in the church. Problem is half the people you're getting hurt by in here were out there doing that the other day. So my point is the devil will magnify every negative about any situation that has to do with God and his church. He wants you to doubt the church. He wants you to hate leadership. He wants you to hate one another. He wants you to not like the correction that comes with church. gets real quiet when you say words like correction, obedience, discipline. Do you know the difference between a great band and a mob? Discipline. The Ohio State Marching Band, how many of you think that's a great band? I mean, they think they're the best in the land. 
How many of you think they're a good band? I mean, when they do that script, oh, man, they're just, I watch them live. You ever watch them live and that trumpet's flying over here and they go by each other and they don't hit each other? I'd be smacking everybody in the head. I'd get hit in the head. Do you know they practice more than the football squad? You don't walk in line, you get dropped out of the band. And nobody goes around talking about band hurt. When William joined the army and he went to boot camp, ain't nobody asked him if it was all right to go on a hike. Nobody said, march however you want. Nobody said, wear whatever clothes you want to wear today. You do that long enough, they drop you out. When he played football, the football coach had rules. If they broke the rules, they didn't play. And even if they played but they didn't show heart, they'd sit the bench. Nobody talked about football coach hurt. When you don't discipline somebody, something, you make it a mob. The church is disciplined. We are called disciples. Come on, do you know the English language? That is the word discipline shortened. It means a disciplined one. And honey, I don't mean you discipline yourself because nobody's very good at disciplining themselves. You might think you got great willpower, honey. We watch, we know. You don't got great willpower. But others discipline us. Christ disciplines us. Leadership disciplines us. So what three things must you know about the church this morning real quick? I'm not going to be, go to the verses. I'm just going to mention these because I don't want to go long. The church, number one, has the greater one living on the inside of us. So I just said it a minute ago, greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Come on, everybody say, I got the greater one on the inside. So no matter what attacks me, I've got a greater one waiting in here. I don't care what the devil says, I got a greater one than the devil. I don't care what cancer says, I got a greater one than cancer. I don't care what another church says, I've got a greater one on the inside. I don't care what Joe Biden says, Donald Trump says, I got a greater one on the inside. I don't care that you don't think VLC or VLI will make it. I got a greater one on the inside. Doesn't matter what you say about it. Well, that's arrogant. No, that's trusting. I fully trust God. VLI and VLC, is all, we've always done more than a church our size should do. When people look at our church, they say we're a small church. We have never done small things. We have expended more money than large churches on missions the last couple of years ever think about doing. You know why? Because I don't look at our, we don't look in our bank accounts. I know VLI, we don't. I know the board and I know how we operate as a church. Our bank accounts, some of you would sit on our boards and look at our finances and go, oh man, we might not make it till next week. Well, that's true if the money's the issue. But last time I checked, we wasn't serving money. And when God says do, we do. Do you do when God says do? Or do you count it first? Do you evaluate whether or not you have the ability. Now, I'm not talking about decisions that aren't he said. Like God doesn't tell you, paint this or do that. I'm talking about when he calls you to something bigger than yourself. And you go, there's no way that we can do that with the size of our church. I've heard people talk this way. And I, you can ask Pastor Brent and uh, the board that have been around for a while. I, I have this speech every once in a while. Don't ever call this a small church in this boardroom. Don't ever use the word small about this church. Because we are big in our faith. You need to know that the greater one's living on the inside of the church. If that's the case, he's living on the inside of you because you're the church. And because you're the church and he's living on the inside of you, nothing formed against you can prosper. Nothing. Nothing. I'm not afraid of the atheist. I'm not afraid of false religion. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of terrorists. Look, honey, you kill me, I go right to heaven. You kill me, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm up in heaven and I weigh 148 pounds. I won't have to ever be fat again. And I can eat anything I want off any of the trees up there. Ain't nothing I got. Oh, that's a nice looking, ooh, Twinkie tree. I'm going to go over to the Twinkie tree. Now, I don't know if there's no Twinkie trees up there. But, but you know, there's no time in heaven. So if I go first, I'll turn around. My wife will be there going, get your hands off them Twinkies right now. 
Don't you talk to him. Don't you talk to him. They're going to hurt me up here. I know you will. <laughs> Who's been eating off this Twinkie tree? Let me guess. Where's all the kids' snacks? Let me guess. Oh, come on, everybody. Have a little fun up in here. I know I'm a serious guy, but. Do you know the Bible tells us in Isaiah that when we go to the day of judgment and Lucifer is paraded before us before he's thrown in the pit, we're going to be waiting for this big guy like in the, the, the wrestling matches. I don't know what they call the ones with the, the octagons and all that. Cage fighting, I don't know. They got associations. Y'all have seen, we went to Alan Callen Ferry yesterday and watched these two jokers doing war wrestling or whatever it was called. It was the same kind of thing. And Lincoln said, can I, can I go up on the front? Because he got a little lift. And he said, can I go on the front? He's, like, he's a cute kid, man. He's so cute. He's got, now they got a bar in his mouth, so it makes it even worth. I used to have one too. He goes, can I go up on the front? Hey, it's, 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 it's family friendly. Yeah, what the guy say? It's family friendly, so you can't hurt nobody. Because <laughs> you can't anyway. Boo. He went and had this whole phrase he was ready to say. I said, do go for it if you want to yell at those guys. And you look at him and you're like, yeah, that looks real, but it's not real. And that guy's really small. And yeah, this is kind of a stage show. And the guy down at the thing with the mic, he's actually yelling out numbers two, four, so they know what moves to make next. And I'm like, that's like the devil. We all think you're going to have this big interest. See, these guys had a big interest before they came out to the ring. But then when they got in the ring, I'm like, this is very much, the crowd is more entertaining than the people. Especially in Allen County, Ohio. Hallelujah. And especially on country music night. Man. And so they're wrestling. And when the devil comes across to us, the Bible says we're going to go, we're going to look at him in derision. Now, that's not a word we know. We're going to look at him with like confusion and disgust and like pity at the same time, all wrapped together, we're going to say, is this it? This puny thing shook nations. Why did we allow it? It's what we're going to say to ourselves. Why, when we had God, who we see now clearly, did we ever take one thing from this little puny thing? And that's what the church of Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, has got to get back to, not trying to find the Partridge family and the Beatles and whoever's new now's kind of love. Find the love of God, which is based in the truth of God, which is based in the power of a God who died, bled, and rose from the dead. Who at his voice, the Bible says, causes rivers or oceans to, to uh, rumble or to rise and fall, causes mountains to shake and quake and the land to shudder. So, number one, the church has a greater one on the inside. Number two, the church has an unshakable and immovable foundation. Jesus said, upon this rock, the rock that I am the son of the living God, the revelation that I am the son of the living God, what he said to, uh, to Paul or Peter there, he said, I build my church and it cannot be moved. Not just not defeated, not moved. Now, some of you have problems in your life this morning. I feel it in the spirit. You came here hurting. You're broken. You're trying to find your way. And you're like, oh, he's preaching about this is the church. I'm telling you something. If you get into the church, if you get into the body of Christ, if you get into the family of God, if you push forward into it, you will find the solutions to your problems. You want an instant fix this morning? I don't have an instant fix, but I've got a fix. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the church is the access point to get to the, the center of who he really is. At least this one is. I can't hand you a coupon, make it better. I can't hand you a gift card, make it better. I can't, I can't pat you on the back and make it better. But I can give you the word of God. I can give you prayer. 
By the way, what three things should you do since you now know that the church cannot be defeated? That church in Pakistan, they might have burned a building. They may have burned houses. That that church in Pakistan is not going to falter. It's not going to fall. Out of the ashes is going to grow more converts, more churches. more more. They are more determined than ever to spread the gospel. The men and women who have influence, who are Christians there, are stepping forward in front of the microphones and the TV cameras and condemning this kind of thing and speaking Christ to the entire nation of Pakistan. I'm here to tell you that God is going to take what the devil meant for evil and he's going to turn it back for good. And if he can do that for Pakistan, he can do that for you. And he can do that for you. And he can change your life if you trust him. So what three things should you do? Say, well, I thought it was time to quit. It is. I am. And this is closing number one. Stay in unity. Psalm 133. How pleasant it is when brethren and sister dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil of anointing which is poured upon Aaron's head which flows above his hair to his beard to his shoulders to the arms and his skirt to the ground. Unity starts at the head, which is Jesus, goes to the leaders who are the elders, goes to the body of Christ, and then touches the world. It's pleasant to the Lord when we dwell in unity. The number one thing that can kill a local church or a church is disunity. I'm not talking about disagreement. We all disagree. But we are unified in Christ. We may disagree about how this is done or what that is done. But, but you can't break my bond with my brother or my sister because we are one in Christ. And come the end of the day, I, I, I'm not going to betray them because we have a disagreement of principle, policy, or whatever. But I will stand because we have one blood in us. We have one Lord in us. We have one baptism. We have, we have one name that is over our life. And so because I'm a part of the church, it restrains me from selfish, selfish living that, that I'm going to just abandon everyone. There, there's some preachers out there right now, if I can deal with this for a second, there are some preachers out there, and some of them are female mostly, but I hear it from the guys now too. Everybody that's a hater, you need to cut them off. Everybody that was a bad person, that's your problem. Everybody didn't treat you just right, that you need to put them in the rearview mirror. You, you need to not hang around certain people. And I get all of that, but no, 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 no. Jesus said they slap you on one face, get, or one cheek, give them the other cheek. Said they steal your coat, give them your shirt also. He said, go the extra mile. Do everything you can to show your love as you're a reflection of me. We have so much anti-Christian thought in Christianity, people don't know how to handle relationships. Because a person rejects me doesn't mean I have to be offended with them. Man, that got real quiet. Matter of fact, the moment I get offended with them and I start wanting revenge, I've entered sin. And at this point, God is less caring about what I feel about what happened to me than what I'm carrying inside of me. And brother and sister, we've all carried that. We all are tempted by it all the time. We all surmise things, see things. Sometimes we're actually mistreated really badly. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy not to be offended. But we have Christ to help us with it. Amen? So the first thing we got to do is stay in unity. The second thing we should do, this gets a lot of shouts. I'm ready for you to shout. Submit to godly leaders. <laughs> I actually elicited that one. Psalm 133, that's about anointing and unity, but it's also about leadership. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, how God gave the fivefold ministry to bring us into the unity of the fullness of stature of Christ. Each part doing their part, causing growth. Number three, and lastly, stir up what God has given you through Christ and through the church. Interesting note about this as the, you guys come on out and you guys all stand. Please. Interesting note about this encounter in this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses about 4 through 7. This is the verses where he says, uh, what you received from your mother, your grandmother Eunice, your mother Lois, and from the you received from the 
laying on of my hands. Paul didn't say you received it from God. He said you received it through me. God gave it to you through me when I laid my hands on you. There's a principle here. There are some things God wants to give me that I can only get in the church and from leadership because that's how God's ordained it to flow. Now, this is anti-everything this culture has come to understand. We love independence. We love being your own person. We love making our own choices and decisions and taking credit for all the good things we got in our life. But let me tell you something. Anything I've ever done in God doesn't just come from the Holy Spirit. It came from Dr. Tim Bagwell, who laid hands on me a long time ago. It came from Pastor Mabel Whipple, who laid her hands on me and prophesied over me that I'd preach to the nations. It came to me as a, as a 11 or 12-year-old boy at church camp when Pastor Phil Conrad, my pastor at that camp with us, I knelt to get saved and he laid his hand on me to pray. Those three individuals gave me gifts spiritually that I still draw from when I stir it up. When I stir it up, I preach a little like Mabel. I prophesy like her. When I stir it up, I got a little bit of the bags coming out of me. When, when I stir it up, I got Phil Conrad because he was such a solid guy on the word. I'm my own person at some level, but I am the byproduct of a great mom who loved God and laid her hands on me when I was a baby and prayed for me. I will not take credit for who I am. I know God made me who I am through these associations and connections because I was in the church. I was empowered by their involvement. I was empowered by their uh, connection in my life. Was I hurt by any of them? Yes. Deeply a couple times. I could have ran out, church hurt, church hurt. And I did run once. I felt the call of ministry so strong in my life. And we had a Sunday night service. And I was moving toward ministry. Wasn't very many people there. There was some guy on the front row we'd never seen before. Churches this size usually know you hadn't seen before, but I hadn't seen him before. He was wearing a toupee that looked like it was supposed to sit back here, but it was up here. Strange look on his face. And from the time we started worship, I was worship leading. Tammy was worship leading with me and Pastor Mabel was there that night. And I was doing the service she was going to preach. I mean, he's, she's in heaven now. And we made this right before she, long before she went. But I think some of this stuff might help you understand it. We've all been through stuff with the church. In the middle of me getting ready to talk, this man stands up and says, I rebuke all of the people on this platform. I rebuke the drummer for this. And I rebuke that. And I told him to stop because I was part of the eldership. Pastor Mabel was back there. She was getting nervous a little bit. She told me to tell him to stop too. And I said, stop. And he, he didn't want to stop. And I said, we're going to help escort you out if you don't stop interrupting. Because he was interrupting. It'd be like one of you just getting up and start yelling stuff. There is an order. Come on, folks. There is an order to things. So we walked him out. When I got back, another woman in the church stood up and said, that was wrong what you did. Pastor Ed, that was wrong. By this point, Pastor Mabel had become incognito. And I felt betrayed. I became blamed for causing a problem. I got my wife, my kids, got in the car that night and said, we're never coming back to this church. Never. I said, matter of fact, I don't even care if I ever preach ever in my life. It's not worth it. These church people are nuts. I mean, it's amazing what church people will do. So we left. I said, I'm going to find a church where they don't know who I am. I'm not going to tell them I've ever done anything for the Lord. I'm going to sit in the back. I'm going to work extra overtime in the cardiovascular field, make a bunch of money, and take my kids to Sunday school. And that's it. I'm happy with that. Fine. Been 17 years I've been trying to preach. Nobody seems to care. I was feeling sorry for myself. 
And there ain't no worse place to be in the world than Sorrowville. And where you think you're right in all your sorrowful ideas and your sorrowful for yourself problems. So I went to church, sat in the back. Kids started getting going. Next thing I know, the pastor comes up and says, hey, I heard you uh, led worship at another church. I said, they're lying to you, whoever they are. They're telling you a lie. But before you knew it, I was up on the platform doing whatever it is I do when I lead worship. A couple years went by. I thought everything was fine. I don't care about doing ministry. I called my wife one day. Well, I went to a meeting where Dr. Bagwell was at that little church that I'd left. said, I'd never go back. And that night he gave a prophecy and the Lord said, you got to come back home before you can go anywhere else. I walked out of there that night, told my wife, I said, I ain't never going back to that church. But before the week or two was out, God spoke to us. Go back. Pastor Mabel's church one time was a revival center. Hundreds of people attended it. Miracles happened everywhere. They brought a woman in one day on a stretcher, dying with brain cancer. Her head was swollen on one side from hydrocephalus, from the tumor. Her legs had become drawn. We laid hands on her. About 10 minutes into prayer, she jumped off the cot, ran around the building, was instantly healed of all her cancer. Miracle after miracle was breaking out in that place at one time. And the Lord said, I want you to go back. And so we went back, pulled into the parking lot. There was about 25 people going to that church at that point. The church was dying. The facility was in disrepair. Weeds were growing everywhere. Pulled in with my young children, my wife. Sat in the parking lot and refused to get out. I'm not getting out. And we started to cry. And I was like, God, why are you making me do this? Why? I don't want to go in here. He said, son, I will open the world to you if you do what I tell you. But God, that person who hurt me is still there. Now look what he says here. I said, well, I'm going in, but I hope they are ready to apologize to me. He said, son, I want you to apologize to them for your hate in your heart. And I did that through tears, clenched teeth, laid down all my pride, all my ego. Knowing I hadn't done wrong, I thought, but yeah. I probably reacted pretty badly. I said, all right, Lord, I'm ready to do ministry now. He said, oh, whoa, slow down. You need to help her rebuild this place. That's too hard, Lord. See, when we see, we read scriptures, Pastor Brandon says, is anything too hard for the Lord? We think about splitting seas, buying a big house, God tells you to bow your knee to people that hurt you and serve them. You need the help of God. So I don't have that capacity. We went to Pastor Mabel and we said, Mabel, we're back. I don't care if you ever have me preach. I said, what do you need? Well, we don't have a nursery. Walked in the nursery. The toys were all covered in cobwebs. There wasn't no babies there. The Lord said, build this nursery. We went down to the local hardware store, bought paint. Went to the toy store and bought toys ourselves. Because they didn't have any money. We didn't either. Gutted the nursery, painted it, cleaned the carpets, painted it, got new furniture. Started scheduling the few of us we had into nursery. Next thing you know, there's more people showing up with babies. Lord says, now go to first, second, third grade. And he made me rebuild. Man, I my wife and I rebuilt that on all of those ministry levels and manned them ourselves at first. Then he said, help her rebuild a Bible study. The 
we grew to probably about 180, 200 in two years. Doing outreach, we started doing outreach. God sent some quality people with us. People who love God. Also a bunch of bad ones came along with them. They tried to undermine and put division between Pastor Mabel and I once again. This time it didn't work. Because I wasn't going to let them offend me again. I preached a sermon called Consider Your Ways, 1996, March. Somebody was visiting in some singing group. She always had singing groups in. She called them specials. We had lots of specials that weren't very special. <laughs> but this was special. This guy was, there was some kind of quartet or something. But he came up at the end of the service. He said, I don't know what this means. I, I, I don't say things like this very often, but something you've been wanting to do for your whole life, it's about ready to open up wide. That following week, I got a call to preach for Pastor Danny Diaz at Victorious Living Christian Center in Pomona. And it's that meeting that started this church. And when I left, Pastor Mabel blessed me for leaving and doing what we did. We went to the end of our, her life as friends. I went to do the funeral, which she wanted it done at World Harvest because blood partially had been saved under her ministry. And I'm on the platform and Pastor Rod can't make it. He's off on jetting something or doing something. The elder there says, weren't you with her for a while? I said, pretty much most of my life. He said, well, I think you should preach this. And I stood up to preach and this anointing hit me to preach that about a woman, a mother in Zion. We were able to honor her to the end. It wasn't a straight line journey, folks. It was ragged. But because I would not allow myself, and my wife would not allow us either, to disconnect from the church entirely, any church, we stayed in church even when we hated it. God moved. I mean, my story doesn't mean much to you, but. If I could survive all of that and be where I am today, whatever you're facing right now, it's just God working in you something. Let him work it out. Be, be smarter than I was and say yes sooner. <laughs> Forgive quicker. But most of all, grab the church for what it is. The body of Jesus Christ. Love it like Christ loved it. Give yourself to her. Give your money to it. Give your heart to it. Give your calling to it. And watch God use your life. I firmly believe something I said the other day. Give a person something greater than themselves and you pull on all their potential. Tell them it's all about their feelings and you reduce them to nothing. I need something greater than me and I found him. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is Daniel's rod that budded in the desert. Come on, somebody. He is Aaron's rod, Daniel's fourth man. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the healer, the great physician, the Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I have found the longing of my soul, the desire of my, 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 my wants, and the fullness of all knowledge I could ever know in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, young man, if you don't know him today, young lady, give your life to him today. If you're a teen in here or a young adult and you're here with your parents and you've been riding on your parents' coattails. You need to come into an expression and an experience with Christ yourself. I couldn't get in heaven because my mother was a prayer warrior and she loved God. I had to have an experience myself. And some of you I'm praying, especially the young people here, that you have an independent experience with God aside from your parents' knowledge so that you know He's real like they know it. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, if anybody in here needs an experience with you,
If anybody in here is disenfranchised or dis, uh, disillusioned with the church, if anyone in here has been hurt, it's not a small thing. But Lord, let us see that the church is always triumphant. The true church is built on you, Lord Jesus, not on men and women. And I thank you today that I am a member of it. But those that are hurting today, those that are not sure where they are with you, those that are not saved, or the teens and young adults that I spoke to now who are not sure of their own relationship with you, their own experience, give that to them today. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for tuning into Church and Stuff Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and that you would consider hitting the subscribe button to make sure that you get all future content from Victorious Living Church. May God bless you.